keeping track. And you say, man, how can you preach that many sermons on it? I don't know. I do. There's so much in these verses. And that was tw- 28 uh, messages from two chapters in Matthew. So there's a lot in the Bible if we just take the time to look at it and to read it. Not only read it, to study. Remember, he didn't tell us to read the Bible. He commanded us to study it. And there's a difference. Studying is something that we put in our hearts and we, we're more apt to remember it than just something you read. I read, read stuff, you know, and it doesn't even stay here long enough to do anything. I'm just going through the motions. Well, God doesn't want us going through the motions. He wants us to study it because when we study it, it goes from here to here. And when it goes from here to here, that's when it helps us. And that's how we can resist temptation, resist the things that we need to do and serve God. So Matthew 7, 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now, I know this is one verse that I hear so many times from non-believers, right? Man, they know these verses. Oh, don't judge me. You're not supposed to be judging me. And they use these verses. And it's amazing how they know certain verses, and they use it. They don't use this to help us. They use it to condemn us and to justify their sin, right? But... uh, the thing, they think this verse means that you can have your lifestyle and I'll live mine and we'll be okay. Let's just have tolerance. Tolerance is, is the doctrine of the world today, isn't it? But the problem is they want us to tolerate them, but they don't want to tolerate us. They condemn us. They want us to take all our, our freedom away from us to worship God and all this other kind of stuff while we have to worship at the throne of their idols, right? And their doctrines, the doctrines of this world. And uh, they think their morality is just as good as ours. And you know what? That's true. It is. But the problem, the difference is our morality comes from God and comes from his word. That makes what makes it difference. I have no right at all to tell somebody what they can do and what they can't do. But God can. His house, his rules. We used to tell our kids growing up, my house, my rules. If you don't like it, there's the door. Well, this is the world that God created and this is his house. This world is, is what it belongs to him. It's his rules, and he's the one that we need to worry about, not me. Doesn't matter what I say, what did God say? And they can condemn me all they want and beat me up about it and all this other kind of stuff, but they can't deny what God said. Now, they can when they cherry-pick verses, like this one. They cherry-pick it all, all like crazy, pick out the ones that they like. I like this one. I remember this one. Judge not. Don't you judge me. Who do you think you are? And they do that, don't they? Because they love it when they think they got us. And the problem is that when they do that, it shakes us in our faith. Because we go, oh, man, oh, no, what am I doing here? So now we're condemned. Now remember, God does not condemn us. He convicts us. There's a big difference. If you feel condemnation about something, it isn't from God. So when the world tries to condemn us, it comes right straight from the pit of hell. Because God does never condemn us. He convicts us. And we condemn ourselves if we don't accept Christ as our Savior because he came to die on a cross for our sin. If we don't accept him, we are already condemned because we've refused what he has given us. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand it because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Now, this is the problem that we have in the world they can't understand this, the Bible. They can't understand why we, we're against so many things because they're spiritually discerned. 
Now, we may have read this Bible before we become a believer, and we got some stuff out of it, because there's enough you can get out of there, enough to find salvation. But most of it, we can't understand it because it's spiritually deserved. And we're spiritually dead until Christ saves us, and we accept him as our Savior, and we're born again. And our spirit goes from death to life. Then all of a sudden, this stuff makes sense to us. Jeremiah 31, 33, I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now this verse tells us that God will tell us what is right and wrong. Now I know the generalities are in here for everybody, but then there's certain things he writes on my heart, tells me I can't do this, but maybe you can. And there's things he's written on your hearts and in your minds that you can't do that I don't have a problem with. But I'm not sitting here and trying to condemn you for what you, call, what you think is a sin. Now, if you don't think you should eat fish because you have a whatever to it or meat or whatever, your own personal thing, that's fine. If I invite you to dinner, I won't serve it to you. But when you're not there, I'm eating this. Well, I won't be eating fish. Don't worry about me ever eating fish. <laughs> Unless it's tuna fish out of a can. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't like fish. So, anyway, uh, but that's what we do. We respect each other's. Because I can't tell you what God has told you is sin, for you. To him it is sin, not to everybody. See, that's the problem we get into. If we can't do something, we think nobody should be able to do it. That's what we have in the world. They tell us what we want to do, and they want to do it their way. Well, we want to do it God's way, no matter how that, how that shakes up. Now, we can't only know true morality through, from God and through the Word. That's the only way place we find it is from God. He's the one that determines what's right and what's wrong, because we are incapable of it. Because if we determine what's right and wrong, that's why we're in a mess today. They say, well, all you can do this. Oh, well, maybe you can, but if, if everybody can do whatever seems right in their own eyes, then pretty soon, hey, I, I don't like you. I'm going to shoot you and kill you because I think that's okay to do. Now, that's a big extreme, and everybody will go, oh, no, that ain't right. But some of the other things that the world teaches are just as wrong. They're just as bad as sin against God and against man and against our own bodies as that. So we, we can't dictate what is sin. Only God can. So that's why uh, we need to understand his word. Now, those that quote this verse the most are the ones that understand it the least. They think they've got us, and that's their own reason to do it. They want to grab onto it so they can condemn us and put us in our place. That's what they like about it. Well, so what is Jesus really saying here? Is this what he's saying, really what the world thinks he's saying? I want to look a little closer at it. Now, remember, where this is part of the message, Jesus came on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's one message. Jesus didn't do it like I did, wake it up in 24 or 28 weeks, 29 weeks, or whatever it is. It was one message on the Mount of Olives. And they were there for a few days, three days, I guess it was, without food. And then, that, of course, he fed the multitude uh, because of, you know, this, this is what he was doing here. But this is all one message. He didn't stop and say, well, okay, next week we're going to do this part. It was all one message, and it was all come down from one thing, and it was a progressive message. First, you have to become a believer. Then after you become a believer, the fruit of the Spirit is developed in your life. Then we become salt and light of the earth. And then we are to seek first his kingdom. So it's a progression, and the things that he does from point A to point B through this message. But it starts with becoming a believer. And so we know through this progression, this, this was part of that message, the same message that he was talking about. He didn't stop and start, well, I'm going to start a new subject, a new, new thing this morning. No, it was part of the whole message that started with becoming a believer. 
So a lot of this stuff ain't going to make sense to us because you have to be a believer. And the world loves that. Blessed be those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Best of the weak, for they shall inherit the earth. They love that kind of stuff. But they don't realize that that was told to believers. So you can be a meek person all you want. If you're not a believer, you're not inheriting nothing. <laughs> the meek will inherit the earth, but they're believers that will inherit the earth. Remember that. There's a big difference. Matthew 6.20. I, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we know that our righteousness has to surpass the Pharisees, the scribes of the Pharisees. Now they were very religious. As a matter of fact, you can spot them all away because they dressed differently than anybody else. And they were so proudful and arrogant about who they were, were and, and everything that they were. It was all an external show. Their religion was a show that they, you know, propagated to the, to the world. But Jesus didn't want us to have that kind of a religion. He wanted us to have a relationship with him. Not something that we flaunt, but something that we use, that God can use and flow through us and, and love the world. Jesus loved the world. He didn't hate it. He came and died for us because he loved us. And not only me, he loved everybody the same. He loved Hitler the same as he loved me and you. That seems hard to believe, but that's the truth. That's what God's word said. God didn't have any special favorites other than Jesus. <laughs> We're all God's kids in his kingdom, and we accept him. We all have to come to the same cross in order to be saved. Doesn't matter where your background is. And then God will help you with the future. 2 Timothy 3.5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Now, the world has a religion, and they like this religion. It's very popular because you can do about anything you want and may go to heaven. Just join my church. Just pay your tithes. And you can go to heaven. Wow, I can do whatever I want. I'm going to go to that church. So I can go to heaven. I just got to show up maybe once in a while, once a month. Give them a little bit of money here and there. and Man, I got it made. That's the world, the, the religion of the world. And that's why it's so popular. Because it's so easy. Jesus didn't die to make our, make our life easy in that respect. He died so we could struggle in this world to make us stronger so, because he's preparing us for another world. Everything we go through in this world is, is, a, is something that God wants us on the job training for something he has in store for us in this life and in the next. So whatever you're going through, don't worry about it. God's in charge and he's going to work it out for you one way or the other. Now, here on the Sermon on the Mount, in this particular part of it, deals with two different extremes of human judgment. The first extreme is a harsh, critical spirit. The second extreme is permissive, permissiveness. Now, as Jesus looked at the, the religion of his day and the leaders, what they were doing was they were flaunting their religion, what was bad. They were very self-righteous. And not only that, they were running around looking for things to condemn in other people's lives. They held themselves to, I'm the, I'm the standard you need to follow. I'm not the standard for anyone here to follow. Don't follow my standard, follow God's standard. Because if you follow me, you're going to stumble. So I tell people, don't follow me around or you'll be very disappointed. Sometimes you'll wonder if I'm even saved. And we all have those days, don't we? But see, it doesn't matter. See, I, I can't make heaven through my own effort. And I'm going to stumble and I'm going to fall. But it doesn't matter how many times I stumble and fall, I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up one more time than I fall down. That's all that matters. And one of these days, I'm going to really get up. <laughs> When God calls me home. 
hopefully it's in the rapture, but if not, it don't matter. They don't have to worry about it. So we need to understand that. But they were quick to judge everyone else by their own expectations. You didn't do what I thought you ought to do, so you, you need to do something about that. You need to take care of your life. You're sinning over there. And they were, really, they were good at doing that, condemning people and running around looking for opportunities to do it. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about obvious judging obvious sins. He wasn't talking about that in this aspect of it. Because there are obvious sins that God addresses in the Word. So we cannot never, ever, ever, ever condone sin that God calls sin. Never. I don't care what it is. I'm not going to be tolerant of it until God is tolerant of it. So they can, you know, they say, I don't care if everybody in the whole world believes certain things. I won't until God changes his mind, and God won't change his mind. Sin never changes. Or the, he doesn't call it sin over here then, and it isn't a sin today. It is a sin. It stays a sin no matter what it is. But the world calls the things that are sin, not sin. Why? Because we want to feel better about ourselves. And we love it when we can find somebody that's worse a sinner than we are, because then we can say, oh, at least I'm not that bad. And that's the same thing the Pharisees did. They go in there and pray, oh, God, I'm thankful that I'm not like that scumbag over there. Man, you are so blessed to have me in the kingdom. That's the attitude of a lot of people. And that's kind of the attitude of a lot of the Pharisees. Not all of them. There were, there were some that wasn't. Nicodemus was one of them that was a believer. And he didn't flaunt that stuff. He understood it once he met Christ and changed his life. But see, all they had was a religion. They didn't understand the relationship part. Because only the high priests were allowed to even go into the presence of God in the Old Testament. So, hey, you go into the New Testament. Now we have all of us can come boldly into the throne room. That's exciting to us. We're all priests and kings in this kingdom. Amen? Great. Hallelujah. Um, so we need, to, we need to understand that that isn't what he's talking about here. We're not to run around looking at the faults of everybody else. He didn't call me to be a, be a fault inspector. But if there are things that we cut that come into our, that we know about, then there's things we need to be dealt with. Now, Jesus had, to, had a problem with this kind of judgment to, with those that were overly critical of people and the ones that were looking for things to condemn. That's what he's condemning here. We would call it uh, a holier-than-thou attitude. Don't you met people like that? Oh, if you would live just like me, you would be better off. That isn't what he's talking about. We call this jumping to conclusions, and which is at the very heart of gossip and rumors. We hear stuff, and we spread it. We don't even bother to see if it's true or not. John Scott said, Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men by suspending our critical powers, which help distinguish us from the animals, but to renounce the presumption of ambition to be God by setting ourselves up as judges. That's what Jesus wants to eliminate. See, when, you're, when they do that kind of judging, it's we're saying, we're God. I'm God. I'm going to be the one that judges like God does. And we can't. Only God can be the ultimate judge. And this is what, kind of what this, world, this verse is dealing with. Now, Native Americans said, don't walk, judge a man until you walk a mile in his moccasins. If we do that, we'll be in a better place <laughs> as far as people go. A person brought up in a Christian home doesn't ha uh, have the same temptations as someone that isn't. And if we understood the whole story of the way that some people were raised and some of the things that they had to go through, it might change our attitude about them and realize, you know what? They turned out better than I thought they ever could have if I went through that. And so we need to understand that. 
Um, years ago, Chuck Swindoll told of a man who attended his seminar, seminars and slept through most of it, and it really irritated him. He thought, why did he bother to come if he was just going to sleep? Why not stay home? On the last day, this man talked to him and said, I'm so glad my wife and I could be here, but I have cancer, and the medications make me sleepy, but I still have received so much out of these seminars. Swindoll said he felt like a jerk and learned that everything isn't as it appears. We need to understand that no matter what you hear going on over here, remember there's two sides to every story. The Bible says, you know, you go into court courtroom and you hear one person's story and you believe them until you hear the second part. When you hear the total story, then we can really understand and make an, an honest uh, evaluation of a situation. <clears throat> First Samuel 16, 7b. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We cannot judge people's motives for the things that they do. I know that, you know, we try to think about the best of people, and we try to realize if, I, if someone hurts me, I have to believe they didn't mean to, instead of jumping to the conclusion that they're a jerk. Because if I hurt somebody, I don't mean to. If I say something that hurts somebody, I didn't mean to do it. Sometimes, you know, open, open mouth and take out foot of the mouth and put it back in. You know, I've lived that life a lot, and it's hard sometimes. But we as believers need to realize that if we're hurt, they didn't mean it. And then they'll help you get the situation. Or you go to ask them and say, hey, is this really what you meant? And then they would die if they thought that they'd hurt you. I know because it's happened. And we can avoid a lot of arguments and discontent in the congregation and in the world, workplace, wherever, if we just go through there and look at, listen more carefully or ask a question, is this what you really meant? <laughs> so we need to, we need to do the, take that step. Now, 1 Corinthians uh, 13 tells us that we're supposed to love others. And think the best of everybody. Love doesn't uh, think evil of anything. We need to not look, always go to the negative. I know the world goes to the negative all the time. They love juicy news. Every time we turn around on the news, they got some scandal going on. If you notice that, man, there's been so much scandal going on, you don't know anything. Between the, the scandals and, the, and ISIS, I'll tell you, <laughs> this is, world's a mess. <laughs> but we need to understand those, those kind of things that... Uh, we got to look closer at the situations. Um, Matthew 7, 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the, me the measure you yours, it will be measured to you. Now, if we judge you harshly, harshly and jump to conclusions, worse conclusions, then that's the way we're going to be judged. It's the same thing's going to happen to us. If we're judging people harshly and critically, people are going to do that to us. And that's what that means. We've got to get the whole side of the story in order to uh, uh, not do that. Now, we can be certain that if we have a certain standard. Now, if you're a Christian, this is what you're going to do because this is what I do, and I'm a Christian. Well, like I said, each person has a different idea because God writes it on our heart. God knows what I need to do to, to remain faithful to him, and he knows what you need. The basics are here. There really aren't a lot of gray areas, as many gray areas as people think there are, because the closer you get to God, it's amazing how that gray turns to black and, and white. So we need to understand that. Uh, Verisidic righteousness, oh, let me read Matthew 7, 3 and 4 first. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How, 
Can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Now, Pharisaic righteousness was not only critical, it was hypocritical. Because they taught something and did something entirely different. And that's what a hypocrite is. It's an actor. Someone's pretending to be something that they're not. And the Pharisees, you know, they had this, you know, to be noticed. They wanted all the, the best seats and wanted everybody to greet them, especially in the, in the marketplace. And they wanted to feel important. But they were critical of everybody else, but they were also a hypocrite because they weren't living what they expected everybody else to live. They were telling you, don't you do that, but I'm doing it. And we have a lot of that too, don't we? We're finding those are the scandals. People are telling us not to do certain things, and then here they are. And sometimes it happens in the church, and we have these great-named evangelists that fell because they taught one thing and lived something else, and they got caught. And remember, sooner or later, your sin will find you out, especially in this day and age. It's so hard to hide something today that you might as well not even try. Just don't do it so you don't have to worry about hiding it. Don't do anything that you wouldn't mind being up here on the screen. It may not be on the screen here, but someone will find out about it. I guarantee it, especially if you're a believer, the devil will see to it one way or the other. So like the Pharisees, we kind of look past our shortcomings and our sins that we have in our own life and condemn other people. That's natural, but that's also hypocritical, and God doesn't want us to, to have a, do that. Bernard Russell capsulated this hypocrisy when he said, I'm firm, you're obstinate. They're pig-headed. I have reconsidered. I've changed my mind, but you've gone back on your word. Same, same situation, but we, you know, we build ourselves up, but we condemn the other person. That's what we do. That's our natural. That's, that's the old nature in us that's functioning, or malfunctioning, I should say, trying to uh, tear us down, <clears throat> try to distract us from other things. Now, we're not uh, qualified to judge other people in certain things in their life. We aren't. Because a lot of times we judge by what we've seen, and what we see isn't the total story. And when we don't get the whole picture, it's hard to divide a situation. That's why in a court of law, they call witnesses, and they have all this evidence and things like that, and then a jury of 12 decides the fate. But see, we want to be all 12 jurors, and we only want, we want to pick the evidence. We don't want the whole story, because that's natural. That's our old nature, doing those kind of things. And God doesn't want us to do that. Now, in this, uh, Jesus uses the idea of a plank of wood and a speck of dust. Now, I know this was a ridiculous example, and I can hear the crowd on the on Mount of Olives just laughing about this. And we look at it, and we think, a two-by-four hanging out your eye over a little speck of dust? That's what it is. Now, you sit there, you visualize this. They were probably laughing. But he, he used examples that they could relate to. And maybe it was because he was a carpenter that he uses, used that example. And it's still... Uh, Apropos today, because it's, that's usually what we do. We stumble over things in our own lives and our own sin to go condemn somebody else. <clears throat> and Jesus was using this illustration to help us to understand. Now today, for an illustration, he'd probably use the illustration of a football game. Somebody watching a football game. And I know this is true because you come to my house, it happens every week when football season. You know, when our, especially if our team's losing. Man, we condemn the referees. We condemn the quarterback for not throwing well. We, we condemn the receivers for not catching the passes and the linemen for not, not blocking well or the defense for not intercepting more passes and playing well. Don't we do that? Man, we're doing everything. Man, we can do better than that. And, you know, 
Maybe I could, I don't know. But generally, if it were that good, we would be on the field or we'd be coaching. But we judge it because we think we know better because we can only see certain things. We don't know what's going on the whole game. But I don't care. If my team loses, I don't care. <laughs> but that's probably the example he would use. We condemn and we criticize and everything because we want to have our own outcome. We like it to turn out the way we want it to. We want everybody to be on our side. So in this verse, Jesus warns us to clean up our own act before we mess in other people's lives. We can't mess in other people's life if our own life is a mess. How can we do that? That's crazy. How can I help somebody when I'm down? I can't. You can't. You know, it's hard to lift somebody up. The thing sure pull you down. And that's usually what happens in this world. The world wants to pull us down. And they will if we grab a hold of their hand. That's why we don't want to grab a hold of the hand of the world because they'll pull us down. <clears throat> now, I don't think this plank in the eyes is necessarily a worse sin. We think, well, that's a huge, a bigger sin in my life than their speck. No, not necessarily. But whatever that sin is, or whatever that problem is in our own life, it rea- it's like that to us. Because we can't function. You couldn't function in life. Reminds you of the Three Stooges? You know, I had that, I went and seen it years ago. How many know who the Three Stooges are? Oh, okay, there's six people. <laughs> that was slapstick comedy. And a lot of times it was just so ridiculous and whatever, it was funny. But they had one where the, the guy had a two-by-four on there, and they were working on a thing. And the one guy called him, and he turned around and looked like that, and hit Larry in the head. And then they don't call him, come turn around and hit Mole in the head. And this was going on back and forth. Well, that's kind of what happens if we're sitting here with, a, with something like that in our life. We're going around, and we're causing more damage than good. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Get the stuff in our own life cleaned up, because until we get our own life where it needs to be, we can't even help anybody else. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to help other people. He didn't tell us to stay out of their business. He didn't say that. He says you've got to take care of your own life first. Then you can help your brother. Because some people don't know any better. When you've got a new believer and they've lived in this world a long time, it's hard for them to know the things that they can do and what they can't do, especially if they haven't read much of the Bible. And so you can help them. But you can go around go around and beat them up. And say, you idiot, what in the world are you doing going back there? You're stupid. That isn't what we do. We help people. We lift them up. We sit down. We talk to them. We pray with them. And if they stumble and fall, we don't hit them with a two-by-four. We pray with them. We help them. We lift it up. But that's after we get our own life in, in where it needs to be. Because if our life isn't where it needs to be, God can't speak through us to help the other person. That's what Jesus is talking about in this verse. Get your own life cleaned up. Get your life out of the mess it's in. Then you can help somebody with their mess. <coughs> Uh, Matthew 7, 5. No, I got that twice. Next one. I guess we need to read it twice. It was so important. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your other's eye. You hypocrite, first remove the stuff in your own life, and then help your brother. You can't help anybody if you're in a mess. You can try, but it'll make it worse. So we want to make sure that we do this. We don't, we don't judge our other people by that, those kind of things, and we do our best to help them. Uh, so if someone has a speck in their eye, we can't walk away because they need help getting it out. If I've got something in my life that I'm struggling with, I can't do it by myself. I need help, and you need help. When a child comes crying with a sliver in their finger, we say, yeah, that's a sliver. Okay. No, what do we do? We take it out. 
because if we don't, it'll cause infection. And the same thing happens with sin in our life. If we have something in our life, it's an infection. And if we don't get rid of it and let God take care of it, it will infect our whole life. It will affect our testimony. And sooner or later, people are going to say, well, what what are you doing that for? And they go, oh, man. So we need to take care of those things first. So then we can take C to get something out of their eye. Have you ever had something in your eye, a speck or something? Matt, I'll tell you, I've had a lot of stuff in my eye. I don't know what it is. And I've always, one time it ended up being on a Friday, but usually it's on a Saturday or Sunday that it happens. And I'll tell you, there's nothing worse than having something in your eye you can't get out. And you sit there, it hurts and you're watering and painful and everything like that. So you have to go somebody that can help you get it out. Because if it stays in there, it doesn't get any better. And it hurts like crazy. And you need somebody that can see clearly enough to get it out. And only God can help us see clearly to help somebody. Not through our own judgment, but through God's. When we let God flow through us. He gives us the words to say and the way to do it. Now, AA and Gamblers Anonymous and other substance abuse programs are built on this principle. You have a sponsor that helps you, someone that has been there to help them get over it. When they feel like they're going to stumble, if an alcoholic feels like they're going get, to get a drink, they call their sponsor, and he talks them out of it. Or a gambler, they feel like gambling, they call their sponsor, and they help them get through that temptation. And that's the same thing we're supposed to do as a body of believers. Maybe our addiction isn't that great, or isn't those main things that we consider, but maybe it's something else. One of the worst addictions we now have today is pornography. That's something that, that we that people do in a closet, but sooner or later they'll find out. I've seen situations where people have stumbled and started watching that stuff, and, and they got so entrenched in it and lost their tense testimony. Sooner or later it will come out. So, and we're not here to condemn people about it. We're here to let God convict them and help them get through it. So if they're struggling with something, they can call you up and say, hey, man, I'm really struggling. Can you help me? Oh, and then we can pray with them. We can do something besides condemn them and tell them, oh, you're an idiot. You mean to tell me you, you can't, you, that's a problem to you? Because we think, well, that ain't a problem to me. There's a lot of things in this world that ain't a problem to me. I don't have a problem. I'm not tempted to go gamble, but some people are. I have other things I'm tempted to do, and I'm not telling you what they are either. <laughs> I'm going to lift Jesus up, not my sin <laughs> or my temptations. But we need to understand that we're not here to condemn anybody. We'll let God convict them, and then we help them the best that we can as a body of believers. A harsh, critical spirit is wrong, but so is the opposite extreme, extreme of permissiveness. Now, people interpret verses 1 to 5 as meaning we can't judge in any case or any setting and don't dare tell me them, don't tell me what's, what I'm doing is wrong. That isn't what these verses has to do with at all. Uh, the per- permissive person holds to a religion that serves what Nicholas Van Hoffman calls the great mush god. Everything is all right with God. The motto of the permissive person is like, is live and let live. He'll never condemn a practice of sin or a doctrine is false because to do so is... To do such is judging, and he believes in being tolerant. That isn't what these verses are talking about. We're not allowed to tolerate sin. We're supposed to do whatever we can. When God says something's a sin, the world can talk about it all they want, and I'm never going to agree with it. They'll lock me up, throw away the key, whatever they want, but I will not change the truth I preach. As long as I'm here, I'm preaching truth, whether I like it or whether you like it. The only one i got to preach is God. Because if I'm pleasing God, God will take care of the other stuff. People may hate me. Well, stand in line. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
Matthew 7, 6. Oh, Matthew 6, 1. Look at that one first. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in, in a sin, you who are lived by the Spirit should restore that person guilty. Person gently, I'm sorry. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. You who are spiritual, not you who are self-righteous. If we're spiritual and the fruit of the Spirit is dwelling in us, we're going to talk to somebody gently and kindly. You know, there's two ways to say everything. One of them's harshly and the other is gently. You know, if you come to somebody and, and, you know, really concerned in a contrite heart, and, you know, because God told you to do this, and you go somebody's, you know, God's been dealing with, with me about this, and, and I need to talk to you about this, and I don't want to offend you in any way, but then talk about it. And you know what? They'll accept it better than say, hey, you idiot, you're not supposed to be doing that. What's the matter with you? You're supposed to be a Christian. What are you going to get? You're going to get more flies with vinegar or sugar? A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down? Jesus uses the spoonful of sugar for us to, to give to other people. So we're not condemning them or uh, that we're allowing them to do things they need to do for God. <coughs> now, <coughs> now, we think that these positions are contradict each other, but they don't. And uh, if we're not supposed to judge, Matthew 7, 6, did I read that already? Next one, okay, then Matthew 7, 6. Do not give what... Give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, this is in the same verses, the same message. Remember, same message. Don't judge. And then he goes from there to saying, hey, don't give your pearls to dogs. Or don't give pigs and don't give it to the dogs. Now, we're, how are we going to know who the dogs and the pigs are if we're not supposed to judge? We can't. God will have to tell us who's a pig and who isn't. And I know there's some out there, and I, I, I know because I faced them on my Facebook page and the arguments they give me, and they call me everything but a white person. Actually, being a called white person is actually a bad one today. <laughs> so uh, we need to understand that there's going to be opposition when, when we stand for God. So, But he's condemning the critical, holier-than-thou attitude, jumping to conclusion sort of judgments, then acknowledges we need to make a decision to decide who the dogs and the pigs are and detrimental to our, things that are detrimental to our lives. Now, verse 6 is a safeguard against an extreme, extreme interpretation of verses 1 through 5. He threw it right in the middle there. Now, Jesus isn't condemning all judgment. He demands that we make a judgment. Uh, John 7, 24. Stop judging by mere appearance, but instead judge correctly. We're commanded to judge, but not by appearance, judge correctly. How are we going to judge correctly? Through God. We have our lives where it needs to be. God's going to flow through us. He's going to give us the answers we need, and we're going to be able to do it right. So we need to do that. Uh, 1 John 4.1. What did I do? Miss it? Go, 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 keep going. Okay, there we go. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false teachers have gone out into the world. We are to judge false teachers. How are we going to know they're false if we're not looking at what they're doing and what they're teaching? We have a lot of false prophets in this world, false teachers, that are teaching stuff that is not biblical. I don't care. I know the world loves it because they love hearing how good you are. You're just God's little darling. And you don't worry about it. He's your grandpa. Crawl up on his lap and do whatever you want because grandpa doesn't care. That's the world's doctrine of who God is. God says, be holy for I am holy. 
That means we are supposed to get the sin out of our life. And only God can tell us what that is. Now, we can't believe everybody, every preacher that comes around. You can't even believe everything I say. I do my best to make sure what I say is right and accurate. But test what I say. You study it yourself. I make mistakes. I know. Sometimes I, I listen. I don't listen that often, but I listen to my messages and once in a while. And I'll say, man, why did I say that? Maybe I'll listen to them every week. I'll find more errors. I don't know. But anyway, we need to test everything. Now, we can't be self-righteous, but we've got to recognize sin is sin. And we never try to justify it. Now, we can give a pig a bath, floss its teeth, put moose in its tail, and as soon as we leave that, let that pig go, where's it going? Back to the mud pile. Because we can't clean anybody up. Jesus told us to be fishers of men, not hunters of men. Why? Because we can't kill them. <laughs> We're supposed to catch them and then let God clean them. <laughs> See, we want to we hunt them. And we want to gut them and we want to clean them. We want to tell them all this stuff. But we can't. God, God let God tell them. When God tells them, they aren't going to be mad at you. Well, of course, like I said, I have to tell the way it is up here. And I know a lot of people don't like it sometimes. But I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please God. And remember, if I'm preaching at you, I've been preaching it myself all week. Because I get more out of this than you do. Because I've studied it more and I get God in my life. Saying, okay, God, help me here. So don't worry about that. I'm not you know, in that business. And he said, do not waste spiritual treasures on those who have no spiritual interests. Uh, Acts 18.6. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive... Abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I go go to the Gentiles. Now, Jesus told his disciples, when you go into a town and they don't have any time of day for you and they don't want anything to do with you and they're harassing you and everything else, just shake the dust off and say goodbye. And some people are just spiritual pigs. That's the reality of it. We cannot... You find them because you sit there and you try to talk to them about God and try to talk to them about spiritual things, and they laugh at you, they make fun of you, and they talk about you. God says, don't waste it on them because they will do nothing but trample your beliefs and trample the blood of Christ. That's what God's telling us in that verse. We, I know we're supposed to share the gospel, and we're never not commanded to do so, but if they're refusing it and they have no spiritual interest, and don't waste your time. I have people in my family that have no spiritual interest. And every time they get a chance, they condemn everything I, I say. And they cherry pick scriptures and tell me how all these things are wrong. And I try to talk to them about it. But if there reaches a point when they will not receive it, I say, forget it. I'm not, I'm not doing it until God opens the door. There comes a time when we have to do that. Because all we're doing is providing them fodder and things to laugh about. And that isn't what I want to do with the, with the gospel of God. I don't want it trampled. You? So we have, to, we have to make that decision sometimes. But how do we do it? God does it through us, and he'll let us know. We do everything we can. But there comes a time when certain people, no matter what you do, they aren't going to accept it. And it's hard for us to accept no for an answer, and, I, and we never give up completely. We continue to pray, continue to do what we can. But if they're laughing at you, quit trying to convince them because they're not going to listen to you, especially if they're in a group. They're in a group and they're all ha laughing about you. Hey, forget it. Walk away. <clears throat> the message of Matthew 7, 1 through 6 is a warning to avoid the extremes of judgment. 
We need to be careful not to become judgmental, looking for faults, looking down our noses and self-righteousness, but neither are we to overlook sin. Nowhere in this Bible will God tell you to overlook sin. If there's sin in the world, we're supposed to stand up against it. I don't care what it is. I don't care how popular it is. I don't care how much money they have. I will never accept it. Even if it's in my own family, I will not. And I condemn it in my own family or convict it, whatever it is. Let them know where I stand. And they know where I stand on the issues. But I love them. I'll do anything I can for them. But I will not agree to call sin okay that God calls sin. Amen? And we can't either. Jesus was confronted by a mob pushing a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. The mob tried to use her to trap Jesus. And that's usually what they do. When people in this world try to argue with you, it's because they want to trap you. That's why God says don't waste your time on it because they're not interested in that. They just want to trap you and trip you up because they think that they'll get you to question your faith and you'll stumble and fall. Anyway, they came pushing a, mo- a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. The mob tried to use her to trap Jesus. The Jewish law said she must die. Roman law said that she couldn't be killed without the permission. There was never any doubt about her guilt, nor was there any doubt as to the seriousness of her actions. So what did Jesus do when confronted by this sinner? First, he refused to look down on her or allow the mob to treat her as a thing. Rather, he forced the mob to consider their own sin. He also didn't justify her behavior. He wouldn't refer to action as anything other than a sin. He forgave her and challenged her to stop sinning. Jesus does the same thing for us. We need to take care of our own lives because when we're so focused on the faults of other people, we are not looking inwardly and we're letting the sin in our own life stay. And God can't deal with us about things in our own life when we're so focused on others. God wants us to love everyone. God wants us to share the gospel. He, he doesn't want us jumping to conclusion and have a self-righteous, holy little attitude in the world. We're supposed to love them, do what God wants us, wants us to do, and don't judge in a way that would be displeasing to, do, to him. But we are to judge. God calls us to judge in, in the right way. The things that he tells us is sin are sin no matter what, and we need to let him live through us. And when we do, it'll be fine. Judge not that you be not judged. It's not a condemnation, as the world would have it. It's a, it's a way that we are supposed to live a life, not in self-righteousness, because we're, we're all sinners saved by grace. Everyone that you meet is a sinner. There's no one that isn't, and there's not a person in this world that doesn't need to be saved. So we won't want to do anything that is going to hurt the gospel in their eyes, in our own lives. But if someone quotes that to you, hey, you have a different meaning. Give them the rest of the verse. Give them the rest of the thing. Don't let them cherry pick verses on you. If somebody quotes you a verse, go look it up in context. Say, let's look it up in context, see what it really says. They don't want that. They just want their little thing so they condemn you. Remember, condemnation comes from man. Conviction comes from God. And if we're convicted about something in our life, change it. And don't try to mess with someone else's life if you've got it too before in your own eyes. Because that's God's will for our life. Amen? Let's pray. Praise some Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord, and your blessings, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for this anointing, Lord, upon this message and upon the people that are here. And I know that we live in a world, Lord, that doesn't, every time I turn around, they're condemning Christians for something. Everything we do is wrong in their eyes, Lord. But we're not here to please the world. We're here to please you. And I know, Lord, that there are people, Lord, that will, will condemn us and, and do everything they can to tear us down. But, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you help us remain strong. And don't let us allow people to cherry-pick verses 
Lord, help us to understand and study your word so we don't need to be ashamed. We don't need to worry about someone trying to trip us up because we know, Lord, that, that you will give us the things to say when we need to say it. And help us, Lord, to, to know when someone is trampling the gospel and not open to it. Help us, Lord, to be able to, to just walk away when we need to because sometimes that's what we need to do and allow the words that we have spoken, Lord, to be hid in their hearts and to convict their hearts, Lord, and for you to deal with them. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand those things and do things 